So we have been reading from the book of Proverbs uh, lately, and so we're going to continue that. So join me. Um, I'm going to read two Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 21, and 12, 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jeremiah. And just to add my welcome this morning to each one of you. We're so glad that you're here this morning as we continue uh, worshiping uh, together as a community, um, which, you know, we're doing that from the moment that we gather together. We're doing that in all of life, but together as a community, um, all of this service is an act of worship to God, and that doesn't stop when we come to this moment. So I want to continue in, in that by praying this morning and asking that God, who gets things done with words, uh, would use his word uh, powerfully uh, in each one of our lives this morning as we look more closely at it. So Father in heaven, thank you that you um, have spoken to us, that you are a God who uh, gets things done with words. And I pray that your word this morning, by the power of your spirit, would be made living and active in each one of our hearts, that it would change us. And I pray uh, that you'd start with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, think about this. What is the greatest threat to your success? What's the greatest risk to your work? Uh, what's the greatest enemy to your relationships, your relationship with your family, with your friends, with your parents, with your spouse, your coworkers? Where does that greatest enemy live? And you know what? It's, it's closer than you might think. Uh, it goes with you wherever you are. I love how Pastor Tony Evans describes it. He says, your greatest enemy is not in your home. Your greatest enemy is not on your job. Your greatest enemy is not that person at church who gets on your every last nerve. I'm sure none of you have that. Your greatest enemy is in your own mouth. The three-inch muscle in your mouth has more power to destroy your life and to do it more quickly than anything or anyone else. Your tongue, your words have the power to destroy your life and to do it more quickly than anything or anyone else. And not long ago, I led our, our staff team in a, a devotional. We were at a planning meeting on, uh, on our speech and the uses of our words. And as I was preparing for that, I was thinking back through the, the past number of months and recalled to mind a number of times when, when I had used my words in ways that brought pain, that I hurt those around me. A, a thoughtless word spoken to Rachel, not intended to harm, but by its carelessness causing pain. I thought of a time driving back from vacation, a long family road trip vacation, and on that final day of driving, losing my temper with my four-year-old daughter. Man, I still, it just almost, it turns my stomach when I think of that moment. But, but you know, it's not just the words that we speak, because we remember, don't we, the words of anger, the words of insult, uh, dismissal that are spoken to us. And I'm sure that many of you could remember, even back to childhood, words spoken to you at school, maybe by a parent or a friend, 
that almost seem as vivid as, as if they had just been spoken this morning before you came here. It doesn't take long to recall to mind a, a text, an email that's filled with cruel words. And we've all had those moments, right, where we wish so desperately that we could take back something that we said. We could claw an, an email or a text back out of cyberspace to unsend it. Yeah, I think there's actually a little feature if you have Gmail, you can turn it on that where uh, it makes you do a math problem at a certain time uh, of night. If you're sending an email after midnight, I think you can set the time and it makes you do a math problem. If you can't get the problem right, it won't let you send the email. Basically, it's like, if you can't do this problem right, you shouldn't be sending an email. Because we've all had those moments where like, oh, if I had only waited a little longer, if I hadn't pushed send so soon. But once those words are there, they're there. They can't be unspoken. You can apologize. You can try to rebuild trust, to buy gifts, flowers, candy. But once words spoken, once they're said, they can't be unsaid. They can't be unwritten. And our, and our present cultural and historical moment, I think, is, is even more prone, more unique in this way than, than really any other time because uh, our words are able to be amplified and also sort of solidified in ways that um, they never have been in the past. Because think about it, with the, the power of the internet through, through video, through social media, text, blogs, Twitter, email, what we say can be heard by more people in a shorter amount of time than any other time in history. And what we say on the internet too, what we text, what we email... Right? It's preserved, it's recorded, it can be replayed, retweeted, forwarded, screenshotted, shared. It's on the internet, it's forever. The internet doesn't forget. I'm sure we've all heard stories in the news of you know, people who put something online a decade ago, a blog, a post, a picture. It comes back years later to haunt them. I recently saw this meme. I think it kind of captures this well in terms of, uh, you know, rank these from most uh, to least unhealthy. Um, when it comes to our soul, maybe not to our body. Sherry Turkle, in her book, Reclaiming Conversation, points out um, the power of our written words in particular. And she, she spends a whole chapter talking about how texts and emails, because they, they're preserved, they're not just words that are, are spoken in a moment and then sort of, uh, you know, maybe exist in our memory, but they're actually preserved in black and white and can be read again and again how powerful they can be, right? If you, you yell an insult at someone in an in a argument, you know, those words hang in the air for an instant, if you send a cruel email, a thoughtless text, it lives on that device to be read and reread, delivering its venom afresh with each rereading. How many marriages, how many careers, how many friendships have been ended by thoughtless words? How many people, students especially, have been driven to, to depression, even to suicide by cruel words spoken and written? Friends, our words possess incredible power. 
Your words, spoken and written, have the power to kill and to heal, to murder and to mend, to crush and to create. Listen again to Proverbs 18.21, and I think this has to be one of the most haunting Proverbs in all of Scripture. It's, it's the, the simplicity that it, it captures the power, the terrifying and beautiful power that we possess, each and every one of us. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of your words. Your words have incredible power. Will you kill or will you heal? Your words have power. Will you kill or will you heal? I mean, just think about two sets of of, of three simple words and their impact. I love you. I love you hate you. Kill life. Eugene Peterson, I, I love how he puts Proverbs eighteen twenty one. He says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. They're either poison or fruit you choose. And, and our words have incredible power because of who we are. You see, Christians believe that we are made in the image of God. That most, at its essence, what it means to be human is to be in the image of God. And we are made in the image of God, and we are made in the image of a God who gets things done with words. When you turn to page one of your Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God speaks and things come into existence. God says, let there be light and there is light. God speaks and stars fill the sky. God speaks and galaxies and planets spring into existence. We bear the image of a God who gets things done with words. And because we are made in his image, our words resemble, carry some of the power that he has in his words. We've been in this series in Proverbs looking at what does it mean to live a wise life? How do we live life well in God's, or in God's world, the world that he's made? We said wisdom at its essence is not just recalling information or storing facts, but it's about knowing God and knowing how to live skillfully in the world that he's made. That's what wisdom is, skillful living in the world that God has made. And, and you cannot live well, you cannot live skillfully in God's world if your words, if your tongue is out of control. Consider Proverbs twelve eighteen again. There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your words have power. Will you kill or will you heal? And you know, there are literally dozens, dozens upon dozens of uh, Proverbs about our speech, about our lips, about our tongue, about how we speak to one another. In fact, I think you would be hard-pressed to find another theme, maybe besides wisdom itself, that comes up in the book of Proverbs more than how we speak to one another, how we communicate with our words. And so this morning we want to take a closer look at at this, and and there's so much we can't cover all of it, but we want to look at kind of two big categories this morning. Words that kill 
and words that heal. Those who, who kill with their words, how do they do that? Those who give life, who heal with their words, how do they do that? So first we want to look at how do we kill with our words? And the first thing we see is that those who kill with words, they lie. Those who kill with words lie. And lies are perhaps the deadliest of, of all of the ways that we can kill with our, our words. And why is that? Because as you walk through the scriptures, as you kind of follow the biblical storyline from beginning to end, one of the things that emerges is that, and this is, it becomes very vivid and terrifyingly true, that the most, one of the most satanic things that we can do is to lie. Now maybe you're thinking, Bill, that seems a little extreme, satanic. But listen to Jesus' words. John chapter 8, he's speaking to the religious leaders and criticizing them for how they've distorted his teaching. They've they've distorted God's word. And and listen to, and these are harsh words from Jesus, but he speaks truth to them. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. When we lie, we speak the native language of the enemy. The very first words that the evil one, the serpent, speaks to Adam and Eve in the garden is first to question the truth of God's word. Did God really say? And then second is to give an outright lie. You will not surely But it was a lie. When Adam and Eve believed the lie in the garden, when they believed the lie that they should define right and wrong for themselves apart from God, because all the way up to that point in the story, God is the one who says, this is good, this is not good. God has been the one defining right and wrong. Now it's them. They turn away and death enters. And ever since that moment, our words have had the power to kill. Now, I could see, you know, some of you, maybe the wheels are starting to turn, but what, what really is a lie, Bill? And what about, you know, what if I was a, you know, I was in Germany and I was hiding Jews from the Nazis and they, they knock on my door and they say, are there any Jews here? And should I, you know, do, should I lie or should I not lie? And first of all, let me just say, when's the last time when you were actually in that situation? <laughs> I mean, sometimes we kind of go to these extremes to find the loophole or whatever. Um, the second is we need to use common sense too, right? I mean, you don't owe the truth to everyone. If someone calls you up and it's a scam and they want your social security number and they, they, you know, they want to steal your identity, you, know, you don't owe them the truth. You don't have to tell them your social security number just because they ask, right? This is, we're caused to be, called to be wise. Most of the time, though, we know, we know when we're telling a lie. A lie is an attempt to deceive with our words, a lack or a lack of words and actions to those whom we owe the truth. You don't owe the, the teller or marker to the truth or the scammer the truth. But we know in our relationships when we owe someone the truth, when we're dodging that truth. Listen to Proverbs twelve nineteen. 
because it's such a picture of how words of lies, they can be helpful for a moment, but they don't endure. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. The truth spoken endures forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Here's the thing. Part of the reasons what's so appealing about lies is that they can get you out of a bind for a moment. They can help you save face for a moment. They can help you avoid hurt feelings for a moment. But the trouble is that a lie is only for a moment. It's a vapor. It goes away. And eventually the truth comes out. Truth-telling, though, on the other hand, often has to play the long game. It often costs more in the short term. It often can feel more difficult, painful in the moment. But it endures forever. This is where we have to really be careful, too, about developing a pattern of sort of just drifting into lies, because that can happen. The little white lies, exaggerations, which may of those things in and of themselves not be that big of a deal in the moment, but it, it just sets you down a wrong trajectory. And, and pastors can be the worst at this, especially if you ask how big is your church or how many people were there on Sunday. The temptation is just to exaggerate a little bit, right? So you, know, you come in, Pastor, how many people were at church on Sunday? And Pastor thinking to himself, uh, well, there, well, there's probably a few people in the bathroom when they counted, so we need to add those in. And, and, I, and I know there are quite a few pregnant women here, and, and maybe some of them have twins, and we should probably count all of them. And, uh, you know, there were some people at the church camping trip, and they weren't actually at church, but they were doing a church thing, so we should include them in the account too. And well, I better just add 25 to 30 to whatever the, the count was. And, and that's a bit of a caricature. But we do that kind of thing, right? We just spruce up the truth a little bit. And again, if someone were to ask me, how many people were at church this Sunday when there was 293? And I say, oh, there's like 300 people there. That in and of itself is not some major lie. Of course, just a rounding up of a number. But when you do that again and again, what it does is it gets you comfortable with telling less than the truth. It builds a pattern. It builds a habit of telling less than the truth. Which can lead to bigger things, to worse things. But again, maybe you say, but Bill, is, is lying really that serious? I just say, listen to Proverbs chapter 6 and you tell me. Proverbs 6.16, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things that he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. And God puts it on a list of things that he hates along with those, who, the hands that kill innocent people. It's pretty serious. In fact, it's there twice. <laughs> a lying tongue, a false witness who pours out lies twice on that list. Your words have power. Will you kill or will you heal? Uh, second, those who kill uh, with words, they, they gossip. The dictionary defines a gossip as a person who habitually reveals personal or sensational facts about others. 
person who habitually reveals personal or sensational facts about others. Gossip, it's a, it's a rumor, it's a, a report about, of an intimate nature about someone else. And gossip, uh, gossip has the ability, the power to destroy community and relationships uh, so quickly. <laughs> and, it, and it happens when we repeat something told to us in confidence or that we know in confidence to someone else. And here's the thing, I had a good friend tell me this. It's so true. We always have a friend who won't say anything. Everyone has a friend who won't say anything. So you say, oh, I got this news, and, but I, I know they won't. I'll tell this one person because they won't say anything. The problem is they also have a friend who won't say anything. Right? Everyone has a friend who won't say anything. And before you know it, friendships are ruined, trust is broken, people are hurt, communication has gotten out in ways that were never intended. Proverbs 2019, he who goes about as a slander reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. 1628, a, a perverse man spreads strife, a slanderer separates intimate friends. 179, he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Have you ever told your friend who won't say anything something that then got repeated? Right? And, and here's where Christians can actually just generally be the worst at this, because we, we, we justify it as a prayer request or, uh, or as I just need to process this with someone else. And that can be true, but don't lie to yourself in this. What is the moment? Does this truly need to be shared with this group of people? Why am I telling that this other person? Don't deceive yourself. Sure, there are moments when we have to for safety or because of our work or whatever to break confidentiality, but those situations are so rare. Don't do it under the guise of a prayer request. Don't do it under the guise of, I just need to get something off my chest. Do you want to create a community where isolation and suspicion are the norm? Then speak what's been told to you in confidence. Share with your friend who won't say anything. But if you want to speak life, stop gossip in its tracks, Call it for what it is, and don't repeat it. And, and certainly don't start it either. Your words have power. They have incredible power. Will you kill or will you heal? And then third here, those who kill with their words, um, they, they lie, they gossip, and they bully. Proverbs 22.10. Drive out the scoffer, and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. Those who use their words to dominate, to create division, to, to start arguments, to push others around, they, they kill dreams, they, they crush spirits, has the power to stifle people, to cause great pain. I, Proverbs 15.4 just stuck, stuck out to me so, so much this week. A soothing tongue is a tree of life but perversion, distortion in it crushes the spirit. 
Again, the, the Proverbs just talks in such these powerful categories. It's a tree of life or it's crushing someone's spirit. Our words have that power. And what happens if, if you remove the scoffer, if you remove the bully, contention leaves, strife leaves, dishonor leaves, when, you, when those kind of people are absent from a community, it begins to flourish in fresh ways. And, and, and that's why it's not just enough to root out lying and gossip and bullying speech. We need to do all of that. We, we also have to begin to learn not only to not speak those kinds of words, but to speak words of life. Because our words have power. Will you kill or will you heal? And those who heal with their words, they listen more and they speak less. They listen first and they speak less. Right? We all want to be heard, but are we hearing? Are we listening to others? And, and again, authenticity is vital to relationships. It's important to be transparent and authentic, but authenticity does not mean just sharing anything and everything all the time that all, it just happens to cross your mind. We need to listen first and speak less. On the speak less part, you may say, well, you first, preacher. Um, we want to get out of here. Uh, so um, practice speech less. In fact, I think my sermon in the first service was long, so I need to make sure I'm keeping an eye on the clock. We need to discipline ourselves to speak less. Because the more we say, the more we are prone to saying too much or to saying something that we shouldn't. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Where words are many, you're going to get yourself into trouble. Whoever restrains his lips is a wise, it's a prudent person. Proverbs 18, 13. The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. But here's the thing. It's not just that when we speak too much that we end up maybe saying things that we shouldn't or we say too much in terms of, of, of disclosing something that we shouldn't. It's also that when, and this is another way that our words kill, that maybe we don't think about it. When you, when you say too much, you, you actually crowd others out of the conversation. When you say too much, you actually don't leave room for others to participate. In that way, too many words are almost like an invasive species, right? They, they might be beautiful and good and even helpful in their own right, in the right context, but when they're out of hand, when there's too many of them, they actually just crowd out and kill the voices of others. Uh, for some of us, our, our words are almost sort of like a verbal kudzu. Does anyone know the kudzu plant? If you've been in the southeastern United States, you've probably seen it growing along the interstate. They, it's this invasive species of plant from, from Japan that is just, there's no way to stop it in the south. There's no uh, natural defense against it. And so it's covering all kinds of things. We can do that with our words, just drown others out. Speak less. Let other voices be heard especially if you're in a place of leadership, right? Maybe it's at work, maybe it's in a team that you lead at school. But if you are in a place of, of leadership, you're already in a position where it, it's more difficult for people to interrupt or contradict you just by the, the power dynamic that's set up. So if you're in a role of leadership, 
you have to be extra careful. You don't speak too much. Because your coworkers, your teammates, they might not feel like they can interrupt or get their words in. Also, let me just say here too, some of you don't speak up enough. And you just might naturally be more on the quieter side of the spectrum. We need to hear from you. Those of us who speak too much maybe have crowded you out, but we need your voice. Speaking too much might not be the problem for you. But are there things that you're holding back that others need to hear? So so those who speak words of life, they listen first. They listen more and they speak less. Second, they slow down. Those who speak words that heal slow down. They think about what they're going to say before they actually say it. They they speak with intention. They speak on purpose. They they know why they're saying what they're saying. They, They say what they mean. They mean what they say, and they say it on purpose. How many Facebook, Twitter, Instagram posts does that describe, right? Not, not that many. It's so easy with a keyboard to just quickly put something out and not think about it. Think through the implications. Who might read this? How might they receive this? Again, in conversation and especially online, it's okay not to say anything or to wait to speak, to give pause to reflect on what you're going to say. Silence can actually be a beautiful thing. Every day we have the choice to speak too quickly or too soon, to speak thoughtfully, reflectively, on purpose. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see someone who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And we're, we're about... Six, seven weeks into our Proverbs series at this point, we've, we've learned that a fool, right? This is like the worst category in Proverbs. If you speak too soon, there's, there's less hope for you than a fool. We need to learn how to slow down, knowing to wait to speak, knowing how to stop is vital. I was reminded of this when I've been teaching uh, Lucy, our oldest daughter, how to ride a bike, and she's got these training wheels. So actually, at this point, for her, balance isn't the most important thing. Actually, the most important thing for her is knowing how to use the brakes on the bike. That's what we had to work on first, is Lucy, okay, if I'm going to teach you to do this, you have to learn how to use the brakes. Not, I want you to learn how to pedal, but you need to know how to stop, because otherwise you run off of the grass or you run into the fence in the backyard. Right, some of us I've forgotten how to use the brakes when it comes to our mouths, when it comes to our keyboards. I uh, recently took our car in for an inspection and you know, that annual state inspection in Missouri. And what's one of the things they always check in the inspection? The brake lines. Are the brakes on this car working? It's vital for the safety. Have you inspected the brake lines on your speech, on your words? For some of us, the the gas pedal is stuck and the brake lines have been cut. We need to repair them. And then third, those who speak life use their words to to heal. Just, Just generally, this is the whole category of encouragement and laughter and joy and life giving speech that encourages and and helps other people. Those who use their words to heal, they speak life. 
our words have such incredible power to give life to others. Listen to Proverbs 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Are your words, are they a fountain of life to other people? Is that how your, your friends, your, your family, your coworkers would say, when I speak to this person, now their words are like a fountain of life. Proverbs 10, 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Are people nourished by your words? They come away from a conversation with you feeling full, fed by what you've had to say. We need to be able to do that, which of course means we, we need to know the person, we need to listen carefully, we need to contemplate what we're going to say. And then our words can become a fountain of life. They can feed many. And, and so many of you have done this in my own life. Because <laughs> I have up here, on this is, this is a, a fountain of life right here. It's a folder I keep in my desk called Encouragement. And it is filled with stacks of, of cards and notes that you have sent to me over the years of doing pastoral ministry here at Christ Community. They're a fountain of life. Times of, of difficulty, times of, man, like, what, why am I doing this job? This is a fountain of life. We can be that for other people. You can use your words to give life. Um, my wife, Rachel, is particularly gifted at this. Uh, she's a gifted writer. Many of you uh, may know that she actually published a book with her mom called God's Wisdom for Women. But most of the time, she, her, her writing is in the context of writing cards to other people, writing texts to other people. She has a unique gift of putting words together in such a way that she speaks life. We can do that with our words. Are you using your words to speak life, to heal? Your words have power. Will you kill or will you heal? Okay. But if we're going to make lasting change in this, there's one more thing that we have to make sure we get, get right. And that is what words have been spoken to us if we're going to make lasting progress in speaking more consistently words of life rather than words of death, we have to know what words have been spoken about us. Uh, Pastor and, and counselor Paul Tripp says that we are the most influential people in our lives because we talk to ourselves more than anyone else. All of us have a, a constant inner monologue throughout the day. We are speaking to one another more than any, are speaking to ourselves more than anyone else. Right? And so much of our, the words of death, lying, bullying, gossip, all these things are one way or another. They are self-justification projects. They're ways of speaking that are, are covering up shame, that are hiding guilt, that are coming from places of pain. But when you begin to hear the words that have been spoken about you, in this book, from the one who, who made you, who knows you, who loves you, 
it begins to erode that need to win the argument with the last word. It erodes the need to, to share a, a piece of gossip so that you can endear yourself to someone else. So much of gossip, I think, comes out of a, a loneliness or a feeling, I want to be accepted by a particular person, and if I can share this secret with them, then we'll be close. But when you believe what God has spoken about you, when you don't have to do that anymore, you don't have to win, you don't have to prove yourself right, you don't have to push others around with your, your words because you are already secure, you're you have the approval you need. So what is it that God says about you? Well, in some ways, this whole book is that. It's why we immerse ourselves as Christians in the words that God has spoken. But here, just let me give you a sampling this morning. God says that you are made in my image. He says you are loved. You are forgiven you are holy, you are justified, you are clean, you are without any wrinkle or spot, you are beautiful, you are loved with an everlasting love. Because of what Jesus has accomplished, those words are true of us in him. And when you have those words spoken over you, when those become the words that live in your mind, when those words begin to dominate what you think and say to yourself, you can begin to speak those kinds of words of life to those around you. We're about to go to communion, but before we want to do that, I want to give you just a, a brief time of silence to reflect on two questions. First is, uh, who do I need to apologize to this week? For words that I've said that have been, been hurtful. And second, uh, who do I need to encourage? Who do I need to speak words of life to this week? And then as you leave after the service is over, there's going to be tables at the ends of each of the aisles, and on them will be a note card. Just grab a note card. Make that as, a, as an intention this week. Say, I'm going to write a note of apology or a note of encouragement to someone in my life this week. So I'm going to give you just 30 seconds to think about that. Who do I need to apologize to? Who do I need to speak life to this week? If you have a pen, jot a note on your phone, write down that name, and then make sure you pick up a card on the way out and do that this week. Let me just give you a couple of seconds to think about that now in silence. We'll practice that discipline of silence together. Now we want to come to communion, to the Lord's table, to receive from the only one who has the words of eternal life. One point in the Gospel of John, when lots of people are walking away from Jesus, he turns to his disciples and said, are you going to leave too? And Peter looks at him and says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words. You have the words of eternal life. And John also says that Jesus himself is the word of life. And so we come to him this morning in communion and receive life from him, life from the word the word come and made flesh. So if you're newer here this morning, let me give you just a couple of brief instructions on how we do that. There's two communion stations here on either side and then two communion stations in the back on either side. If you need gluten-free communion elements, those are available at this station.